0: My father and his father, my grandfather, worked for a railroad called the Minneapolis-St. Paul and Sault Ste. Marie Railroad, otherwise known as the Sioux Line. It was a wholly owned subsidiary of the Canadian Pacific with 4,700 miles of track from Montreal to Vancouver and Chicago to the Twin Cities and Winnipeg, Manitoba. One morning when I was in the second grade, I overheard my father tell my mother that the Sioux line was <clears throat> sending him to an eye doctor to get tested for color blindness. I'd never heard the term before. I didn't understand that color blindness is not a form of blindness, but the inability to see certain colors. In red green color blindness, for instance, red appears as yellow or black, green looks yellow or beige. In blue yellow color blindness, blue appears green, yellow and red are indistinguishable from pink. Railroad signals, like traffic signals, communicate with colored lights red, yellow, and green. They tell a conductor when to stop, when to go, or when to move with caution. Someone who can't see color is a hazard to himself and others. Since I'm not colorblind, I took for granted that everyone saw the world the same way I did until I went to university and I met someone whose colorblindness was at the severe end of the scale of a kind called monochromacy, where everything looks like black and white with some shades of gray. The world he saw was like a movie from the 30s or early 40s before technicolor was invented, like Kansas was for Dorothy before she landed in Munchkin Land. I'd like to suggest that colorblindness on a physical level is a metaphor for, on a spiritual level, for a worldview without God. I say that because no homily on Easter can ignore the contemporary Western crisis of faith, a crisis 500 years in the making. The medievals saw God everywhere the church was, especially in the sacred liturgy and the sacraments, but even the church and the cloister could not contain God. Nature also revealed his presence, and every bush was a burning bush. That's why we call it the age of faith. The Enlightenment arrived and dismissed this as nothing more than superstition. In its place, the philosophers created a two-story universe banishing God to the attic like an elderly uncle that you don't want to introduce to your friends. That left the earth to us to do with it as we pleased, to turn it into a gold mine or an ashtray. It was a disenchanted world, with no trace of God to be found anywhere. This is why Voltaire, one of the church's cultured despisers, would define a monastery as a building between a church and a hen house, where monks fatten chickens and vice versa. No transcendence there, and may I add, we haven't had chicken in seven weeks. Modernity looked around And seeing no trace of God, declared him dead. And since heaven was vacant, the totalitarian regimes of the 20th century created their own version of it on earth. They called it the Workers' Paradise. If you've ever read Solzhenitsyn's three volume Gulag Archipelago, you know that it was hell on earth by any standards. The postmoderns came along and turned everything upside down with a radical hermeneutic of suspicion. For them, all God-talk is nothing more than a concealed attempt to leverage power over others, and they take it three steps further. Neither God nor truth nor even human nature exists. We are just a construct of whatever we define ourselves to be. Don't like who you are today? You could always be someone else tomorrow. This is the controlling myth of our culture today, and to some degree it affects us all. It creates a worldview that reduces life to buying, spending, getting, and having, the four main verbs of the goods life, the consumer culture. There was no known cure for colorblindness until 2014 when a company that marketed glasses for laser surgery discovered that they helped colorblind people to see. And the reason they discovered is because employees kept stealing the glasses and giving it to other people. YouTube has dozens of videos showing people who try these glasses on for the first time, and the reactions are often deeply moving many find it difficult to control their emotions when the world is revealed in all its glorious color for the first time. So, is there a similar antidote for Western culture's lack of transcendence, its loss of hope and meaning, its spiritual monochromism? Catholic sacramental theology suggests that there is. It tells us that the cure is found in the waters of baptism. Since the earliest days of the Church, the central focus of tonight's liturgy has been the initiation of catechumens into the Paschal Mystery by the Easter sacraments and the renewal of our baptismal promises once made either by us or for us. The clearest evidence for the link between baptism and the Paschal Mystery lies, or the earliest, lies in tonight's reading from St. Paul. But some, sometime in the winter of 57 to 58 AD, St. Paul was in the Greek city of Corinth. And from there, he wrote the epistle to the Romans, the longest single epistle in the New Testament. Are you aware, he wrote, that we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were indeed buried with him through baptism into his death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might live in newness of life. We hear it every year just after the lights go on, the bells ring, the candles are lit, and we sing the glory in excelsis for the first time in six weeks. The lights might go on in church, but do they go on in our imagination? This riot of light and sound, together with the passage from Romans, tells us that the new life that we are celebrating is both Christ's and ours. That happened on the day a priest or deacon poured cold water on our heads and warm grace entered our hearts. This was not the ritual equivalent of a shampoo. Rather, we were personally inserted into a new story, the story of Christ's victory over sin and death. This was a change so radical, so profound, that Christ's life, his story, has actually become our story. This is why baptism shapes the whole Catholic worldview. We see the world through the lenses of the sacraments, and that means we see it as it really is a new creation energized by the glory of the risen Christ. This is not merely a completely different worldview than our culture is used to. It's a different view of reality than our culture can tolerate. Not a world of hopelessness, sin, suffering, and the brute fact of our personal extinction, but a creation charged with the grandeur of God flaming out like shining from shook foil, gathering to a greatness like the ooze of oil crushed, to paraphrase Gerard Manley Hopkins. This is what Lent has been leading us to, what the Easter Vigil is inviting us to appropriate for ourselves once again, to see the presence of the risen Christ flare out in sudden bursts of light and energy everywhere around us to live by the resurrected life. So, let us prepare ourselves to return to the font of baptism and renew our promises and have the risen Christ open our eyes to the divinizing light.